through 25 seasons. Hey! 4,561 episodes. I believe the Oprah Winfrey Show was one of the greatest classrooms in the world. I really never thought of it that way. The aha moments, the breakthroughs, the LOLs, the connections, the occasional ugly cry. I miss him so terribly. I miss him every single minute. The moments that mattered. The eye-opening life lessons. Never allow them to take you somewhere else. I'm bringing them back. It's time to open the vault. I've personally chosen these classic episodes to share with you again. Every single person you ever will meet shares that common desire. They want to know, do you see me? Do you hear me? Does what I say mean anything to you? You are listening to The Oprah Winfrey Show, the podcast. It's one of the most heart-wrenching tragedies we have ever heard. Five children murdered at the hands of their own mother, Andrea Yates. And we are talking to Andrea's husband, Rusty Yates. And we'll talk to Rusty's mother, who came to their house every day, she says, to help Andrea with the children. She will tell us what she saw in that household. And later, jurors will tell us what compelling evidence helped them decide Andrea's fate. But first, the details of this tragic case. We all know the shocking story of Andrea Yates. She's the Texas mother who confessed to authorities that she methodically drowned each of her five children in the bathtub one by one. She entered a plea of not guilty by reason of insanity, saying that she suffered from a severe case of postpartum psychosis, a mental illness her husband said she suffered with for years. Her tragic case sparked intense debate around the nation, causing many to question whether a person suffering from mental illness should be held responsible for the crimes they commit. And nowhere was that intensity more prevalent than at her trial, where defense attorneys attempted to portray Andrea as psychotic. They argued that her condition was so severe, she should not be held responsible for the heinous crime, pointing out that in the two years leading up to the murders, she had been hospitalized four times for mental problems. If this woman doesn't meet the test of insanity in this state, then nobody does. But prosecutors disagreed. Although they did not deny that Andrea is mentally ill, they claimed she did know the difference between right and wrong and therefore should receive the same punishment as any other murderer. It's not that I, I am without sympathy. It's not that you are without sympathy. But what you're asked to do at this point is decide this case on the facts and the law. But while Andrea was on trial for the murders of her children, her husband, Russell, is being tried in the court of public opinion, as many feel that he is partially to blame for the death of his children. After a lengthy trial with weeks of gut-wrenching emotional testimony, a jury of eight women and four men had the difficult task of determining whether Andrea Yates was a victim or a villain. After just three hours and 40 minutes of deliberation, the jury rendered a verdict. We, the jury, find the defendant, Andrea Pia Yates, guilty of capital murder as charged in the indictment. Andrea could have received the death penalty, but the jury sentenced her to life in prison. It'll be at least 40 years before she will be eligible for parole. But Rusty says he will continue to support his wife. And Rusty Yates joins us. Thank you for being here. Thanks for having me. What do you feel when you look at those videotapes of your children? 
Oh, it's it's bittersweet, you know. I mean, I um, they're such beautiful children. I, I remember the first time I took out the uh, home movie camera and played back some some home home movies, and uh, it, I, you couldn't have pried me away from the television set. It's like you know, kind of like reconnecting with the children in a way. Um, Is it hard for you to see them? I know you sat in the courtroom every day and you watch videos. You watched. Well, I didn't get to sit in the courtroom, but I but I you know have video clips out on a website and. Mm -hmm. We go out there pretty frequently and watch watch the video clips, and I, I like it. You know, you do like it. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. It's it's not hard for you. It, you know, it, it's a reminder of how much we've lost, but it's also, you know, it's it's kind of like visiting the kids in a way, and you know. I think uh, I have been struck, and perhaps a number of people have been struck by what appears to be your ability to carry on. And, you know, none of us has walked in your shoes or can even imagine what it is like to walk in your shoes. Only you know what that is like. But how are you carrying on seemingly, you know, you're still standing, you're still, you know, talking. I saw you at Katie Kirk. I saw you on Larry King. You, you seem to be of sound mind and okay. How are you doing that? Well, you know, the first part of that is just you know, getting perspective, you know, unlike the children. And um, I, I, it, that first week, I was just completely devastated. I mean, it was just, you know, I cried and cried and cried and cried that first week. And, and um, you know, I, I decided to say some words, you know, to each child and about each child at the funeral service. And uh, when I was saying goodbye to the children, in particular John, um, it, you know, it dawned on me, you know, it just, I hadn't even thought about it or prepared the words or anything. It dawned on me and I said, I'll see you again, you know, and, and that, that thing alone, you know, really, really helps. I mean, just knowing that the children are safe and, and knowing that, um, knowing that I'll see them again. Again, how were you able to do that? Because I think for a lot of people, you know, people only, they make their judgments, unfortunately, based upon how they think they would react. And I know, uh, for a number of people, they feel they wouldn't be able to speak. They would be practically comatose themselves at a funeral of five of their children. That was hard. And so yeah. how were you able to get up and say words about each child? It was all I could do, you know, to do it. I mean, it was, um, it was very, very difficult. Uh, but, you know, when my dad... Had you made that decision prior to the funeral or just decided... Yeah, in fact, then? I think I mentioned it on... Um, you know, the day after the children passed away in the interview in my yard. When my dad passed away, uh, the minister at the church said a few words about my dad, and, you know, he didn't really even know my dad, and he would say, it's been said that, and, mm -hmm. you know, those sorts of things. And, uh, you know, I wanted people, you know, I wanted to do uh, service to my children. You wanted and, to speak for your children. Yeah, I, I know them, so I, you know, I was able to say some words on each of them, and it was really good. Um, have you grieved yet? That's hard to say. I mean, I, you know, I know that there's, you know, stages of, of grief and all. And right, there's of, stages um, of grief, and it seems, you know, because we only see what we see on TV or what we read, mm -hmm. and it seems from what we see that you missed the first four or five stages, that you moved immediately <laughs> yeah. to yeah. either denial mm -hmm. or some form of acceptance that is really difficult for a lot of people to understand. So... My question is, do, have you grieved? Because when I hear this story, mm -hmm. and when many other people mm -hmm. hear this story, we can't help but think of that morning 
and each child individually being drowned. We think of, yes. of your wife chasing Noah through the house that's, you know, and holding him down. And have you have you a, thought you know, about have you thought about I've that? I've thought about that, but you know, we, we had you know collectively over 18 years with the children, you know, and it was a beautiful time, and we were so blessed. You know, our, they were just absolutely beautiful children, and and to, and to you know take that away and say, well, you know, let's forget about those 18 years and and only remember that hour that they mm -hmm. that they suffered is wrong. You know, I mean that that's a tragedy in my mind. You know, it's an unspeakable tragedy, and also... Is it unspeakable and also unthinkable for you? Have you not actually gone there with I, yourself? I've thought about it, but, but it's just a tragedy. I mean, it's like, I don't, I don't want to dwell on it, because, mm -hmm. because I, I want to remember the children for their lives, not their death, you know, and, and also... And that's really powerful. I mean, Phil, who comes on here all the time, says that is what people need to do when they're getting over grief, mm -hmm. is not to continue continuously. Have you all heard him say that? Not to continue. So most people focus on that, the day he died, the day they died, how they died. Mm -hmm. They focus on the loss, the loss, the loss. But right. you have already been able to move to the lives that they lived. Well, that's what I did. That's one reason I set up the website, to put all the beautiful pictures out there and beautiful video. Uh, just you know, for me, and I know it's helped mom and, and anyone else who, you know, wants to kind of get to know the children, what they were like, and um, it's kind of a memorial to them, you know. Yeah. So. I understand that, but again, my question about, but do you think you've dealt with it? Do you think you've really dealt with it? I hope so, but, you know, I can't say, you know. Ms. Yates, I know your mom has, do you think your son has dealt with it? I think he's done the best he can. He has not been able to be away from this at all for all these months because he's been entrenched with uh, the funerals and then the trials and the media and so forth. And he's just not a been able to get away from it for 24 hours. So has the trial, the media, the focus on all of the other external things been a way of, I think you all, uh, allowing your attention to be in, in the place where you don't have to think about the horror of what happened? I think that's somewhat true, yes. Mm -hmm. Very much so, probably, <laughs> except that a lot of that dealt with the horror of it. Mm -hmm. especially the trial, but we were not in the courtroom, so we missed the trial, essentially, too. And so how are you today? Well, you know, I guess it's kind of a transition uh, point, you know, where, um, you know, we've been, like Mom said, living this, you know, 24 hours a day uh, since it happened, you know, the first detention to the children and then, and then to Andrea. And, um, you know, there's some resolution of it. We're not happy with the, with the verdict, but um, at least um, now we can kind of move into a, a phase of kind of rebuilding, recovering, you know. Are you happy that she did not receive the death penalty? Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. She is, too. I, I know, you know, that's a scary proposition, you know. Mm -hmm. the... Which is an interesting, I wanted to talk to you about that because um, I'd heard you say before that she was very happy that she didn't get the death penalty. We all know that there were suicide attempts before. We uh, have heard that she feels a great sense of remorse for what she did, and mm -hmm. yet she still wanted to live. You're asking me why would she, why would she want to live? No, I'm saying, and, and she did want to live. Oh, yes, mm -hmm. yes. We didn't know she was psychotic. We just thought, well, she was depressed. We knew how much she loved the children, and if she didn't say anything, we assumed she was thinking the same thing she always thought. And so, no, we didn't see her as a danger. 
I mean, I can't change the past. Usually I'll talk to the kids a little bit and just say hello, and I will ask them to pray for Andrea. They love their mommy. I know they don't hold this against her. They know, they know that she was sick, and they know that she loved them. That was Rusty Yates speaking to the press following the sentencing of his wife, Andrea, in the drowning deaths of their five children. And he joins us. Uh, when did you last speak to Andrea? Uh, last Friday. Last Friday. Mm -hmm. And how is she? I think she was a bit relieved to, you know, have, have a verdict, have a sentence. Um, she's really kind of in a fragile kind of a bit confused her state right now. She's a very, um, ordinarily very sensitive, caring uh, person, and it's, and it's, you know, it's very, very difficult. Does she know. understand, comprehend what she has done? I think so. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think... Um, has she said that to you? I think she knows that, you know, the children have passed and that, you know, it's by her hand, so... Um, um, and has she said, has she spoken to you about what she did? We haven't gone into very, you know, I don't, one day she was talking to me about some of the psychotic thoughts that she had, and I was, I didn't even really want to hear it, you know, I, it's, you um, it'll never make any sense, you know, I mean, like, the things that she was speak, hearing at the time and seeing at the time, her, it's irrational behavior, you know, uh -huh. and, and, and... So she was telling you about some of the psychotic thoughts, but you didn't want to hear it. Because, you know, I've interviewed lots of people over the years who tragic things have happened to them. And usually the number one question a person has is why, why, yeah. why, why? Are you five times why? That's the first thing I ask. I mean, you know, how could you do this? I don't understand. I said it over and over again in my yard, you know, but once I understood, I don't need to know that the specifics of it you know I know that she was psychotic and there's no she'll never be able to reconcile you know what she was thinking with what she mm -hmm. did it'll never make any rational sense and that's something that's gonna that she's gonna struggle with for the rest of her life you, know? you mentioned to us uh, earlier that you have because from what we see you seem like a pretty non-emotional person would that be a good assessment Overall. Yeah. Okay, overall. But you've said that in your private moments, you cried and, and cried and cried and cried. The first, especially the first week. I mean, after the funeral service, it was kind of edifying in a way. I, I, I didn't cry for probably three weeks after that, you know. Mm -hmm. But the first week, I, it was a lot. Yeah, I mean, every, I mean, you know, one of the hardest things for me early on was seeing, it wasn't seeing children, it was seeing like teenagers, you know, like we go to a restaurant or something and see a waiter that was a teenager and I, and I thought of the, you know, just the lost uh, potential, mm -hmm. you know, of the children that, that um, I was really hard to see. Did you, did you, have you, in your private moments, we haven't seen, and mm -hmm. you know, maybe we're not supposed to see, have you, have you mm -hmm. been angry? Not too much. Um, I've been angry at, at her doctor. I uh, haven't really, I haven't been angry at Andrea. You've never been angry, not for one moment were you ever angry with your wife for this tragedy. Uh, you know, I was upset, you know, when I first, when I first heard what happened and I went home to the house and I remember just saying a little prayer to myself and I was like, you know, I, you know, just a silent prayer to God. I said, you know, what should I do here? You know, and I saw, and I was thinking I should be angry towards Andrea, but what I heard was you know, support her. And I'm like, that's weird. Why, why would I support her after what she did? But When you got home, what, was, what did you see when you got home? 
No, police. There, that uh, there were police there. There was a media truck there. I went in and, and asked what happened. And at first, they wouldn't tell me how the children um, died, but they. Um, were the children still there? Yeah. Mm -hmm. That was, you know, that really upset me because they wouldn't let me in the house. They stayed inside with Andrea and the children. And I wanted to go inside and see the children. And they just let them lie there for hours. I mean, it, it must have been, it was at least three hours before. You know, the uh, people got there to take pictures and all that kind of stuff. And I, I don't know what they were doing three hours, but that was upsetting to me to have to sit outside and have them take so long to, to, to take care of the, mm -hmm. the kids' bodies. Andrea Yates's mother and siblings spoke, <coughs> and they had some pretty strong words to say about you, mm -hmm. Rusty. Mm -hmm. And how do you respond to that? Well, they, it's not true. I mean, they, they weren't in my house. I mean, they don't, you know, they don't know. I mean... What uh, don't they know? Well, they don't, I don't think they understand the quality of the relationship that Andrew and I had, mm -hmm. um, how much we loved each other, how much we loved the children. Your mother-in-law um, said you never changed a diaper. Is that true? It's absolutely not true. Did you Andrew tell her changed, you never, did you tell her? I, I don't So remember. what she just said I mean, is, is well, a lie? Well, she knows that, I mean, at least she should know that I changed Noah because she, you know, I, when Andrew went back to work after Noah was born, I stayed home half days, and then her mom would come in mm -hmm. for half days. And, and uh, But, I mean, Andrew's changed thousands of diapers, and I've changed hundreds. I mean, that's, mm -hmm. I guess that's one way to put it. Mm -hmm. You know, she, that, we had a pretty clear, you know, roles in our, in our marriage. It was pretty traditional roles, and uh, we'd help each other out when, when, when we needed to. But, but, um, would you say you were helpful around the house? Absolutely, yes. When you came home from work? Absolutely, and that's something they don't know. I mean, they weren't, they weren't in our house. They don't know. I mean, I'd take the kids. I always took the boys. We'd, you know, out. You know, we'd go to Home Depot or whatever. You know, go. I, mean, I spend a lot of time with those kids. What was your marriage like? If we could have had our been a fly on the wall or had our own camera in your home prior to this tragedy, what would we have seen? We had a wonderful marriage. I mean, our. You know, people, Andrew and I always got along. I mean, from the beginning, we never, we never fought. We had similar um, values and goals. And, and, and what um, were those values? Well, we, we valued our family. I mean, that's something that, you know, some people want, you know, to travel. Some people want big houses or cars. And we just wanted a nice family, you mm -hmm. know. That's what we Is wanted. Is it true that you wanted six children? I've read that, that you wanted six children. <clears throat> no, what we decided before we ever married was that we'd have as many children as God gave us. And, and, um, and that once we had our first child, that Andrea would stay home with the children. Um, and that was as a decision you wanted to maintain, even though you all recognized that there were some problems with Andrea? Well, after the fourth child, you know, we thought long and hard about having another one. And uh, when did she first so start to show signs of mental illness that you knew something was wrong after Luke was born? That's something I think is a misconception. I mean, she Andrea what year was that? That was 1999. Mm -hmm. Andrea appeared to be well all the time I knew her, except four months after having Luke and again four months after having Mary. And it was very, very severe depression, you know, at those times, very marked. It wasn't like you know, there was some mounting pressure in the household and things were worse and worse and worse over the years. You know, she was depressed after having Luke and she recovered. 
Mm-hmm. And, and, and at the time... When were the suicide attempts? That was, they were both after having Luke. Mm-hmm. Um, Wasn't um, there a time in 1994 where she had visions of a knife and... That's what I've been told. I, that, you know, I learned that after the children passed away. That, that was something in the uh, newspaper that I read and apparently was in her uh, medical records from 1999. Mm-hmm. I, I didn't know that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I noticed that you always use the term after the children passed away. Mm-hmm. So you think of them as passing away. You don't think of them as being murdered? Well, you know, God says he's the, you know, not the God of the dead, but of the living. So I, I, I almost, in a sense, see them as having gone from this age to the next, you know, and, and um, that, you know, they're aware and they're, in a sense, alive. They're not alive here with us, mm-hmm. um, but, you know, they're... Spirit. Yeah, they're still alive, mm-hmm. in a sense, you know. In another place, obviously. Right. Well, Rusty's mom, Dora, went to the Yates' house every day for two months to help Andrea with the children. And she says she saw firsthand what was going on in their household. She says people have no idea what was really going on under their roof. What was going on? Andrew was not well mm-hmm. all during that time, during those two months. Did you send for your mom? Did you, how, how is it that you came to be in the house? Um, I usually go to see Rusty and uh, Andrew at least once or, or twice a year, and then they visit me the same or have visited me the same. Um, but I had uh, arranged to go there April 19th through the 25th just for a, a visit. But I told Rusty before I left that if they needed me uh, to stay a while, I would go to an extended stay place to mm-hmm. help and then help them out. And that's what I did. I went over each morning about, at first, about 8.15, and then Rusty would leave for work about 8.30 to 9. And then I would stay until he returned home about 5.30 or so. And this went on for those two months. But also during Which those, two months, Dora? Uh, from April 19th to until the tragedy happened. Mm-hmm. And uh, with some variation, because during that time, uh, Andrea was in the hospital from May 4th to, I believe, May 14th. So before she went to the hospital, she was worse than when she came back. She was very withdrawn. She spoke very little. She would uh, stare a, a lot. Uh, sometimes she would walk in huge circles, not in small circles, but the way the house was is built, she would walk maybe from the uh, den, den through the hallway, through the living room, through the dining area, through uh, back through the uh, kitchen, which is a large circle. And, and she would do this maybe 30 times. Well, when she first started doing that, I thought that she was trying to get exercise because it was extremely hot in Houston at that time. And it's just too hot to go outside almost. And so, uh, plus with the other children there, I thought, well, she's doing this for exercise. She had already been in the hospital before I arrived in April. And uh, she had been home probably 10 days or so, I believe, before I got there. So she had already been released from the hospital before I arrived. So, she, but she was still not well. Mm-hmm. And uh, she was very quiet. Uh, we would ask her a question or something, and she'd say yes or no. And sometimes she would have long pauses in between before she would answer. Um, you knew she was not well. Right. It, it, her symptoms were the same. I mean, that's what the doctors told us in 1999, that if she got depressed again, her, her symptoms would be the same, and she'd require the same treatment. Well, her symptoms were the same. She, just what Mom said, also she would carry, like in 99, she carried uh, Luke around on her hip, 
and just really wouldn't let him down. And and uh, and this time she carried Mary around. Um, when when uh, the baby would cry, she would try to use a pacifier, and and I, and I would say, well, Andrea, how long has it been since, you know, say Mary was fed? And she would say something like, you know, three hours or something. And I, so I would say, well, I'll go fix a bottle, or you know, and get her, get her some food. Um, strange strange things. I mean, you know, not. And she would say, I don't think she's ready yet, or I don't think she needs it yet. Yeah, yeah. She yeah. she she just seemed to. I thought she meant that she thought that the baby was getting too fat. And I thought, that's strange for a baby, though. You know, when a baby yeah. cries, usually it, it really needs food. Right. Uh, Mary was very so, easy to take care of. Mary, you know, she uh, she cried. She was, you know, needed changing or she needed food, you know. She was, she was a good baby. So, and then sometimes we would go for walks in the afternoon. Uh, we'd take the stroller and take the children out. But she wouldn't talk. Even then, she would just push the, the stroller. Mm -hmm. Uh, and uh, the rest of us would sort of walk behind the stroller. Of course, the baby was in the stroller. And uh, uh, we would go for, to the park, maybe. And was back. she childlike herself in some yes. way? Was it like taking, taking care of a, yeah, another child? That's really what it amounted to. It seemed like an older child. She, she still could function in some ways. Uh, she, would, uh, she could still wash clothes. Maybe they'd wash a couple of loads of clothes a day. So, But you children. were the only other help. You were coming in and, what, supervising the children, feeding uh -huh. the children? changing the diapers. We did that somewhat together. Mm -hmm. at, at, uh, she did help yeah. do those things, and then Rusty helped do those things when he was there as well. And we let Andrea do what she could. You know, she, mm -hmm. she wanted to remain functional. She, it's almost as if she struggled to remain functional and do the things that she'd always done. What was she saying to you during this time? Nothing. I mean, she, she really wouldn't spontaneously say anything. She, and as her husband, what are you thinking and feeling at this time about your wife's condition? I know she's sick and I tried to get medical treatment for her. She was an outpatient at that time. She was going to regular psychiatric uh, mm -hmm. appointments. Mm -hmm. In fact, the first night I arrived in, on April 19th, they went to a, uh, an appointment at that time. You realized she was mentally ill? D definitely. It's like, it, it's like when we went through this in 1999, we didn't know what we were dealing with. But fortunately, at least the second doctor we went to did, mm -hmm. and 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 she she successfully treated Andrea. It was almost the opposite in 2001. It's like we knew that she was sick, but she. It's like the doctors didn't. It's like they wouldn't treat her. Why did you, know? you have another baby? Well, I've I've answered that before, but you know, first we love children. I mean, that was the first thing, um, and the second thing is is that. We, we thought that, well, since we knew that if, if she got depressed again, she'd have the same symptoms, we could identify the, the illness quickly. Were you advised not to have another baby? The, the Dr. Starbranch talked to us about that, and, 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 and she wasn't too keen on the idea of us having another child. Um, she, in fact, she said that if we did have another child, she, she would like Andrew to start antidepressants before the baby was born, just kind of preventatively. And Andrew didn't want to do it because she thought that the... Um, antidepressants could harm the baby. Mm -hmm. um, After Luke, did anybody talk about postpartum depression or psychosis or... I'm not sure what you mean. In, in 1999, when the first depression happened after... Oh yeah, that, that's what they called it, postpartum depression, you mm -hmm. know. Right, and that's, we knew that that's what she suffered from in 1999. Uh, we, I didn't know the seriousness of it, like, you know, there's some things in the medical records about her having, you know, these thoughts of you know, that were bizarre. Knives. I, yeah, and I didn't, I didn't know any of that. Andrea never uh, Were you ever afraid? I think I remember hearing your mother-in-law say that um, 
you had asked her at one time to remove the knives from the house. Is that true? Now that's when they, that's when they brought us, when they discharged Andrew from the hospital, they, they uh, said try to make it as safe as possible. And we okay. did, you know, and that was in her mom's house. Okay. Yeah. Dora, you were there during the daytime. Um, I've heard what mostly many hours a day, not just a few hours a day. You said that you were scheduled to go over there at 10 o'clock that morning. For about two weeks before the tragedy happened, uh, I had started coming in one hour later. So between the time Rusty left and the time I got there, there was about one hour. Mm -hmm. And then in the afternoon, I would leave an hour earlier. Mm -hmm. also, why is that? Why is that? Because and after Andrea had returned from the second hospital visit from May 4th to the 14th, she, had, she seemed a little better. She seemed more alert. Uh, she uh, functioned better as far as fixing meals or, or something like that. She still wasn't 100% well, but she was better. And she had not been alone with the children for any time uh, up until then. And um, so but I thought... For a well, few months. For a few months, yeah, about three months. Because yeah. Rusty had taken off from work for about three weeks before I got there to be with the children and to help Andrea when she was in the hospital. Mm -hmm. And so um, she was seemed seemingly better, but not, of course, not totally well. So because she was seemingly better, you all decided we'll give her an hour in the morning with the children? Yes. And an hour mm -hmm. in the evening with the children? Yes, uh, because uh, I didn't want her to feel that I was intruding so much that I was taking over her whole household. Mm -hmm. And in the morning, they all they were doing was uh, going in one by one and getting to the breakfast table and having breakfast. And so that seemed... Uh, okay, that she could handle that and uh, and had for two weeks. So you had just left for work at what time? Uh, about five till nine. Okay. Yeah. And you got the call from Andrea? Five till ten. At five yeah. to ten. So during the span of that hour, your life changed forever. I know, just one hour. That's right. Was there ever at any time that anybody in this family, her family, ever suspected that she could cause harm to herself, to the children? You know, I would say that um, obviously since she try attempted suicide in 1999, you know, we should have thought, well, maybe she could have tried to harm herself. Um, at, she never gave any indication at all. I mean, that no, no one could ever imagine that she would harm the children. And um, so it, it, it is just shocking, you know, unimaginable. Okay, but you had your mother c come in, your mother was there, you were there, you all were trying to help her with the children, not because you thought she would cause harm to the children, right. but because you thought she just needed help with the children. And toward the end, you know, I'd say the last week or so, she, she was stable from the time she was released from the hospital the second time, but maybe at about 65 or 70% functional is what I'll call it. And then when they took her off Haldol on June 4th, she seemed to improve a little bit, that was about two weeks before the tragedy. And then, then she started declining. And, and um, you know, I, we became, at least I did, I don't know about mom, but I became so concerned about Andrea and just so frustrated. I don't think people realize how difficult it is to care for a mentally ill person. I mean, it, it's, it's very, very draining. It was, you know, I, I cared for those children, you know, around the clock um, for three weeks with, without Andrea. Work. Yeah. And that was much, much easier than caring for them and having Andrea home. I, it, I know that's hard to imagine because she could do things. Like Mom said, she might put a load of, of laundry in the, in, in the washer. But, but 
when I was home with the children, um, it was much, much easier than, than, than being home with the children and having Andrew in the house. I can't explain why, but, but I, I know that I was very drained and I didn't have time for anything. I was able to put in maybe a couple hours uh, of work a day when I had the children at home. I, when I laid Mary down for a nap uh, during that time, I would, I would let the kids play either in the backyard or watch TV or something like that, and I could spend a couple hours on my computer doing work. Um, we managed fine, um, but with Andrew home, I wasn't able to do anything else, and uh, it was very difficult. Leona Baker served as a juror at the trial of Andrea Yates, where it was decided that she was guilty of murder and received the life sentence, and Leona joins us by satellite from Houston. What gave you clarity in making that decision, Leona, you and the rest of the jurors? Well, all of the information that we heard, all of the testimony that we heard during the days of the trial, and I think the most compelling part of the evidence was Andrea's taped confession and the pictures that we saw of the children. Her taped confession saying what? Saying that she had called each child into the bathroom to get into the tub. After that child stopped struggling, and after that child stopped breathing, she took that child and put it on the bed, called another one into the bathroom to come in and get into the tub, and she repeated that five times. And seeing the pictures of the children, I understand that was, that was amazingly compelling for a number of the jurors. That was very heart-wrenching. Some of the hardest things that I've ever seen in my life. And so your determination came because you believed she was mentally ill but not insane? That's correct. I believe that Andrea Yates is mentally ill, but I also believe that on the day of the drownings, she knew what she was doing. Uh, you know, I know you don't want to get into a debate with Rusty, and Rusty doesn't want to get into a debate with you, but did the jurors at any time discuss what was his responsibility or involvement or if he had been more in tune? No, we as a group did not discuss that. We were not to d talk about the case at any time during the trial, mm -hmm. and we did abide by those rules. When the jurors finally made their decision, was there any doubt in anyone's mind, or did some other of the jurors have to be convinced? Originally, there were, our vote was 10 to 2. And once we made the, we took our first vote, what we did is we sat around the table and everyone discussed, told why they voted the way that they did. And after hearing the testimony, one person immediately changed their mind and said that they were not 100% convinced mm -hmm. to begin with that his vote was correct. But he, he changed his mind. And then we discussed it with the other person, asked them to tell their views on why they voted the way they did. And we talked about why we voted the way we did and gave that person plenty of time to think about it and to discuss it and eventually he changed his mind. Is it a decision that now in the days have passed that you feel that you can live comfortably with? You still feel that you made the right decision? There's no doubt? There is no doubt in my mind that we made the right, that we did not make the right decision. Thank you so much, Lena. Andrea wrote this note to her family saying, I regret that this illness brought me to a place where I was capable of killing my own children. Noah, he was my firstborn, he was so, inquisitive, and his favorite thing to do was watching monarch butterflies. John, with his cute grin, he loved to do crafts and was very enthusiastic. Precious Paul, 
nurturing and loving, he sought to please us and be special friends with his brothers. Beautiful Luke, trying to keep up with his brothers, he also was nurturing, especially to his baby sister. Beautiful Mary, such a loving baby with the big blue eyes. I thank God I was blessed with such a precious family. Beautiful. You were saying that the doctors pumped her up with antidepressants. Well, right. I mean, you know, just at the end, uh, they, you know, they didn't recognize her psychosis, you know, or, or, or treat it. And, and when they took Andrea off any uh, psychotic medicine on June 4th, um, you know, she improved a little bit and then declined. But the thing is that they, the doctor left her on what amounted to a triple max dose of antidepressants. Um, which is really counterindicated for psychosis. So in, if she'd been on no medication, she would have been in a catatonic state. Unable in, to get in, out of bed, you said. In say. bed all day, but since she was on a, you know, a triple max dose of antidepressants, essentially an overdose of antidepressants, it gave her the energy to act on her psychotic thoughts. What about the people who say, you know, people say this, that you are equally to blame for what has happened here? Um, that's outrageous. I mean, you know, responsibility, you know, I've gotten into this before. I mean, the responsibility of, of Andrea was just to do the best she could to take her medicine and shower and, mm -hmm. you know, to try to eat and just do the minimum to take care of herself. Mine and mom's responsibility, you know, was to see, make sure she got medical treatment, help out at home. And, and it's the doctors who diagnose her illness, who treat her illness and, and who protect our family. Um, we, we, you know, as just ordinary people can't recognize um, psycho psychosis. And Do you feel no blame? You feel no blame. You live with yourself every day and you feel, I did the best I knew how to do. That's the way I look at it. That's exactly the way I look at it. I look at it like, um, yeah, in hindsight, if I could go back and change some things, obviously I would. It's, it, to me, it's the same thing as asking me the question, do I wish my children were still here? But I know that I did the best I could. Uh, throughout, I was on great terms with every child, friends with them all. They were my best friends. I mean, and, um, and you know, I've lost them. I want to say thank you to Rusty for sharing this hour with us and trying to shed some light on this tragedy. And thank you to your mother, Dora. Thank you for being here. I'm Oprah Winfrey, and you've been listening to The Oprah Winfrey Show, the podcast. If you haven't yet, go to Apple Podcasts and subscribe, rate, and review this podcast. Join me next week for another Oprah show, The Podcast. And I thank you for listening. <laughs>